0: Microcast, the sound of the economic world, with Gilles Moek, AXA Group Chief Economist.
1: The Commission's new generation package presented last week is a big step forward, but it's not a proper cyclical stabilization capacity. The ECB will have to top up its PEP. We think they will do this this week already, even amid good news on monetary policy transmission. I will not be alone to talk about this bubbling European news flow, I will be strongly supported by Apolline Menu, our Eurozone economist. It's Monday, June the 1st. I'm Gilles Moheg, and you're listening to Macrocast. It's fair to say that the EU's first response to the crisis was found wanting. Fortunately, the Solidarity Imperative is making a strong comeback, and after the Franco-German proposal we discussed in detail last week, Ursula von der Leyen came up with a comprehensive plan. The Next Generation Package, presented by the European Commission last week, is a very significant breakthrough from a political point of view, which could go a long way in solidifying the monetary union on an, as an institutional construct. Still, we do not think that, on its own, it can provide enough support to quickly absorb the GDP loss of 2020. National budgets will remain crucial, and this means that the ECB will have to continue for a long while to ensure the financial sustainability, even if this new federal capacity can complement them. Let's start with the positive, and given my personal difficulty with optimistic statements, I thought it would be better to ask Apolline. Uh, to present the main innovations of the Commission's proposal. Hello, Apeline. Uh, How are you today? I'm very good, Jill. Thank you. Uh, good to hear. And uh, sorry to take some of your time off today to delve into the alphabet soup of the EU's institutional system. Um, no worries. Th- the debate on the joint fiscal response was particularly heated on whether member states would receive grants or loans. Um, how is the Commission dealing with this?
0: Yeah, so that's actually the first positive. Because the Commission proposal built on the Franco-German proposal, which focused on grants, and topped it up with uh, 250 billions of loans, uh, which could be seen as an olive branch to the Frugals. So the next generation EU package would include 440 billions of grants, non-repayable transfers to the national governments through various channels. It's not too far away from the Merkel-Macron initial proposal of 500 billion euros of grants, so it's a positive. And it's also bigger than the share of loans, which is, as I just mentioned, uh, 250 billion euros. The remainder of the uh, 750 billion euros next-generation EU package, so roughly 60 billion, would be in the form of guarantees following the EU's habitual fondness for complex financial engineering.
1: Oh, thanks, Apolline, to uh, guide us through this this jungle. Uh, discussing all this uh, from the Hamiltonian angle, uh, that is the emergence of, of a federal budget in the US in, in the 1790s, that has become a sort of cottage industry, and, and I'm afraid that Macrocast has contributed to it. Is it really a Hamiltonian moment?
0: Yes, I think it's going in the right direction. Uh, the European Commission wants to take another step towards uh, fiscal federalism, By creating new own resources, which would contribute to the repayment of the debt issued to fund the the recovery and resilience funds, which is the main component of the package. So, the commission proposal refers to a potential tax on plastic, a digital tax, and a border tax, which is introducing a custom levy uh, proportional to the carbon footprint of, of imports. This would pave the way for leveraging on the pandemic emergency to build up a more significant and permanent federal budget. I think it's worth highlighting, though, that the last two proposals, the digital tax and the border tax, will probably trigger some very negative reactions from some of the main trading partners of the EU, uh, namely the US on the digital and border taxes, and on China on on the border tax.
1: Uh, Good to see that you could end on a non-positive comment. Uh, Thanks a lot. (laughs) Uh, We'll let you return to enjoying a beautiful June morning.
0: Thank you. Bye.
1: Let's be fair, even if Apolline ended on a slightly negative note, uh, there were a lot of good things in her comments. Uh, Still, we see the package more as a very promising fiscal redistribution system, a sort of much magnified cohesion fund, which will help within the next five years to deal with intra-EU inequalities. Uh, But we don't really see it as a substantial recession-busting fiscal capability. While in the Commission's papers, the contribution of each country to the repayment of the debt merely follows their share in in the EU's GDP, the allocation key, that is how the transfers and loans will be apportioned across member states, is the redistribution instrument. We suspect the formula presented in the staff working paper is only an opening gambit, but we find it interesting that it contains no variable representative of the pandemic or of the ongoing contraction in activity. The share of each country Would depend on its share in the EU's total population, controlled for the relative level of its GDP per head, that is, countries with uh, GDP per head above the EU average, so the richer countries, would receive less money. And uh, for the relative level of unemployment, countries with an unemployment rate above the EU average over 2015-2019 would receive more money, with some caps on the variables to avoid excessive concentration of resources. Um, Actually, an allocation which would have been directly driven by the pandemic shock would have focused on deviations from the GDP and unemployment benchmarks by year-end 2020, for instance, not on their current levels. It so happens, but we suspect the Commission staff has had to try quite a few different combinations before getting to this result, that all southern peripheral countries would be net beneficiaries of the system. Uh, And so would most of the eastern countries. And that's important because we thought that these Eastern countries could be tempted to block the initiative for fear that the new scheme would divert resources from the traditional structural funds, which remain crucial to them. In a way, we could see this allocation key as a sort of reparation for the austerity cure, which the peripherals had to go through at the time of the sovereign crisis, while bridging the gap with Eastern new members faster there will be some thorny discussions on the formula. We were surprised that the Commission chose to rely on headline unemployment without considering the structural differences across the EU. Um, A disciplinarian country could object that while it actually makes sense to help a member state deal with a bigger-than-average rise in cyclical jobless numbers, there is little reason to pay for a country where the labor market institutions are conducive to a high level of structural unemployment. This may become a particularly sensitive issue in the negotiations if the frugals insist on macroeconomic conditionality, for instance, to make sure that reforms are implemented to reduce structural unemployment. According to uh, the regulation proposal, which was put forward by the Commission last week, governments would have to wrap the various projects up for funding into a recovery and resilience plan, in which they would have to show how the intended measures would contribute to dealing with the economic and social consequences of the pandemic crisis, with due respect to the green and digital transitions. The Commission would have the power to reject those plans, as well as suspending payments if pre-agreed milestones are not met. In our understanding, this is a form of project conditionality, without any direct impact on structural policies in member states, nor on their ordinary fiscal policy. But it is a very, very fine line, And governments, which were very reluctant to take ESM loans precisely because of the macro-conditionality they entail, will probably want to limit, as much as possible, the scope of the Commission's assessment of the plans. The list of potential bones of contention is long, and it seems the Europeans want to take their time no decision is expected by the Council meeting on June the 19th. This first delay, followed by the necessary ratifications by the European and the national parliaments, plus the time it would take to prepare the recovery and resilience plans at the national level they could be presented in October, according to the Commission's document, plus their assessment by the Commission, which would take up to four months, according to to their documents, suggests that spending is unlikely to start before next year. In addition, The funding side of the project is barely sketched out in the Commission's documents. All we know is that the debt would be issued with a very long maturity. For our part, we have no real concern about the market's capacity to absorb this from a highly rated issuer, given the current search for duration, but we would welcome differentiated issuance. Since the projects would need to contribute to the green transition, we think it would make sense to carve out a green bond out of the new EU debt given the growing interest for this kind of assets. Beyond starting the institutional process, the Commission's document presents a very gradual liftoff of the fund. The first year, in 2021, only 6% of the grants would be effectively paid. As of 2023, still less than half of all the grants would be paid. As much as we believe the European economy will need long-term policy support on its way out of the pandemic shock, We believe the scheme would need to disburse much more quickly than this. To take a precise example, the Commission's document is consistent with only €4 billion in grants disbursed to Italy in 2021. That is less than 0.2% of its GDP. This is puny when compared with the depth of the current Italian recession. As per the name of its main component, the initiative pursues two objectives, recovery and resilience. Given the time it would take to reach cruise speed, we think it is more suited to address the latter than the former. Anyway, the overall size of the package, roughly 5% of the EU GDP, including the loan component, remains too small is spread over several years. To use again the historical analogy we mentioned last week, this is not a New Deal moment when a federal budget fills the vacuum left by individual states incapacity to provide fiscal support. This is a federal redistribution system, which will level off some of the asymmetries in the varying fiscal response capacities across member states in the medium term, but they will still need to do the heavy lifting in the coming 18 months. A potential side effect of the next generation package is that national governments expecting federal resources gradually coming their way could choose to limit their ambition on their own ordinary fiscal stimulus. We have already noticed outside Germany some hesitation on the quantum of discretionary measures. National governments must be reassured on their domestic financial conditions, and this is why massive ECB intervention is still needed. Although purchases through the Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program, the PEP, have retreated from the peak at 8.5 billion euros per day at the beginning of May, The latest pace is still consistent with all the 750 billion euros being spent by the end of September, while the ECB had pledged to maintain it until at least the end of the year. Mechanically, the ECB would need to top it up by at least 350 or even 400 billion euros to bring it above the symbolic level of 1 trillion euros. Technically, this would make them comfortable until December. Communication from the ECB before they went in Perla was very open to such extension. Political economy factors would favor such a move next week already, instead of waiting until the July meeting. Indeed, there is no point in delaying decisions to incentivize governments to do their bit, since the European Commission has already released its project. Yes, since every time the overall quantum is raised, it becomes more difficult to comply with the limits to quantitative easing, which the German constitutional court has explicitly incorporated in its reasoning, doing it at the first governing council meeting since the court ruling could be seen as a provocation. But equally, not moving now, while the market consensus has shifted towards a June decision, could be seen as a signal the central bank is insensitive to Karlsruhe's pressure. We continue to think that signaling that PEP would be reinvested over the long horizon would be welcome, it would give the central bank more time to reconverge towards the capital key and would be powerful guidance for the market. Finally, we expect for this week a decision on keeping the fallen angels, the entities that are losing their investment grade status, eligible to quantitative easing operations. A month ago, in Macrocast, we focused on monetary policy transmission in the EU area and found comfort in the combination of very strong flows of lending to the business sector in March with a majority of banks expressing their intention to loosen credit standards in the near future. It is usually difficult to be less optimistic than your humble servant, but some commentators at the time were pointing out the possibility that the flows were merely reflecting businesses hastily drawing on their existing credit lines before banks closed them. They were thus expecting a backlash in the following months. Fortunately, the April data, which became available last week, points to the continuation of strong lending flows to the business sector. True, the record of €121 billion for March was not bested, but the April flow of €73 billion is still impressive, equivalent to seven times the monthly average of the last 20 years. Interestingly, the flows of ultra-short loans those with a maturity of less than a year, was negative in April, which suggests that businesses are not merely drawing on overdraft facilities. Origination of long-term loans above five years was robust, 40 billion euros in April. This is a positive development, since we are concerned that paying back principal over a too short period could impair corporate cash flows once the economy exits from lockdown. The data for April also confirmed that businesses in aggregate are not burning cash. Quite the opposite. A lot of this extra lending is hoarded as liquidity, as suggested by the continuation of strong flows of deposits remaining at the record high of €103 billion in April. This probably reflects the success of the fiscal stimulus. The various in-work and employment benefit systems have protected the firm's cash flows, together with the delays offered to pay down tax liabilities. The merger statistics also confirm that households have accumulated massive cash buffers during the lockdown. In April, they added another €80 billion to the bank deposits, mostly on their overnight accounts, besting the record-breaking €75 billion in March. This is equivalent to 15% of monthly consumer spending in the area. Not all this forced saving will find its way to actual spending once the lockdown is completely removed, as the deterioration in labor market prospects will trigger some precautionary behavior. For now, the labor market is not flying solo across the EU area. State support remains massive, even if some governments in France, for instance, have announced a measure of retrenchment, requesting employers to shoulder a higher share of the furloughed workers' pay. So far, the rise in unemployment is stemming mainly from short-term contracts not being renewed or newcomers to the labor market failing to secure a job but the likely wave of layoffs has yet to come. Still, it is reassuring to face the next critical phase of the pandemic shock from a comfortable liquidity position. This week's focus. This week, uh, the big issue is likely to be uh, the ECB uh, governing council meeting on Thursday. But We've discussed this uh, at length in in this macrocast. In terms of data releases, um, we'll have uh, the ISM surveys uh, in the US for, for May. Um, I have my doubts as to uh, how interesting traditional surveys are at the moment, um, given the fact we are in a sort of nonlinear uh, situation. But still, it's going to be interesting to see how much of exiting from lockdown or relaxing lockdown uh, is already having an impact on uh, business sentiment. If you want to go further, and uh, in particular, understand why the uh, hostility between China and America at the moment is a bright future ahead of it, unfortunately. Or if you just can't stand my voice or my accent, uh, then please feel free to read Macrocast newsletter. Uh, the link is in the description um, for my part. I'll be very happy to see you next Monday at the place where economy meets music. And have a great week.
0: Macrocast, the sound of the economic world. Available every Monday
1: on your podcast app.